But I am excited always to be in the house of God and for the honor of bringing revelation from His Word. And so we're going to do that tonight. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Luke chapter 8. I like this passage of Scripture. There's so much that takes place just in this one chapter. But I just absolutely love it. Luke chapter 8. And uh, I'm just going to read through this beginning with verse 26. It said, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Father, we thank you today for the anointing to preach and to teach your word. And Holy Spirit, I look to you as the greater one that dwells within me to help me accurately deliver this word with all boldness and without compromise. We thank you for revelation knowledge tonight that is ours. And I thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. So our faith will be built tonight as we go further into your word. We thank you for it. We love you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed with that said, Amen. Amen. Now, remember last week, we were talking about the disciples, and they were in the boat, and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. The storm comes up, the wind and the waves, and they're panicked. They go over and say, Master, Master, we're all going to die. And what we found out was that when Jesus awoke, he knew there was faith present. The only problem was, was that faith had been placed in the wrong thing. They had stepped into the future and appropriated death and brought it back into the now. And when they did that, they had wrongly used their faith. Now, faith is a force. It's as real as any force that we might be familiar with. It's like the force of gravity. If I were to step off of this platform, I'm going down. There's a force known as gravity. It works whether I want it to or not. And unless there's supernatural intervention, I'm falling. Now, I don't have a word from God to take a step off this platform right now and walk on air. Therefore, I'm not going to try. My wife is thankful. She's had to pick me up from too many illustrations in the past. So this is just going to be a straightforward, we're not going to do that. But one of the things we know is that when Jesus gets back into the boat, look at this last little bit. The disciples are marveling. They say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Another gospel says this, then they sailed to the other side. Because it didn't just stop there. The next, the next place that Luke picks up is meeting a demoniac in the tombs on the hillside. Now, I like the part that says, and then they sailed to the other side. It wasn't just like, boom, we're there. Let's go meet a demon-possessed guy. No, they sailed. Can you imagine the conversation in the boat right about then? 
Jesus has just told them, you've got your faith in the wrong place. You need to get your faith on the word. The word that I gave you is we're going to the other side. What you appropriated with your faith says we're not going to make it. And too often, God gives us a plan in our lives and said, you're going to the other side. Or as Pastor Paul was saying, listen, it's a done deal. It's a done work. We have to see it like that. That's what God has said. So let's not go appropriate death and bring it back to what he's already declared as life. We don't have to do that. We get to walk it out now. We get to walk out life now. So Jesus calms the wind and the waves, and then they sail to the other side. Now, granted, the Sea of Galilee is not big. So if you've ever been there, you know, we're talking two and a half miles across. It's not a long way across. It's not going to take you a long time. But I kind of think Jesus is thinking, I've just given them the lesson of a lifetime. I'm going back to bed. I could just see him doing that. Okay, guys, where's your faith? Stop all this nonsense. I'm going back to bed. And the rest of the disciples there are like, what just, what just happened? Who is this guy that the wind and the waves obey? I'm not quite sure. All I know is he said we're going to the other side. We are definitely going to the other side. Now, when God asks you to do something, have you ever noticed that he'll go either with you or before you? And most of the time, he's gone there before you. He's already been there. He knows what's on the other side. He knows what they're going to encounter. I don't believe for one moment that Jesus went to the other side of the lake without a purpose. Because he said, I only say what I hear my father say, and I'm only going to do what I see my father do. So if he's going to the other side, it means that he's already seen in himself going to the other side. And he knows it's the place to go. So now they're ready to go together to get to the other side. Now let's just imagine for a moment the disciples. Their faith is built. We've got the word again. We're going to the other side. There's no storm in front of us now. This is a breakthrough. And how many times in our lives we're just crying out to God, I need this, I need this, I need this, and then all of a sudden one word from him and you've got a breakthrough. But here's what happens. As soon as you get your breakthrough, the enemy's right there waiting for you. Now, Luke chapter 8, we forget that he had just finished teaching them about the parable of the sower. So what did he say? There's four types of soil, guys. There is some really, really hard ground. And you can throw seed, you can throw the word on that all day long. And as soon as the seed hits that hard ground, the birds of the air, they're going to come and take it. And the disciples listening to this parable are putting all this together in their mind, and then he explains it. He said, oh, by the way, that's the enemy. He comes to steal the good seed once it's sown. What can you expect to happen when you've got good seed sown on the inside of you? Expect it. Why? Because Jesus said it's going to happen. 
If Jesus said, as soon as the good seed is sown, the enemy comes immediately. Why? Because if it takes root, he can't beat it. So he's got to steal it before it takes root. Let's go back and get a little history listen. A little biblical history. Whenever there comes a deliverer, say in the life of Moses, when he's born, what does the enemy do? He goes through and kills every newborn male under age two. Catch this. The enemy doesn't know where the deliverance is coming from. He only knows the season it's in. If he knew who the deliverer was, he would have just killed Moses. But he didn't. He didn't have that kind of knowledge. He didn't have that kind of ability. He didn't have that kind of foresight. All he could do, let's just get rid of it all. And in his getting rid of it all, he missed. A few thousand years later, another deliverer comes. Jesus. Born. Listen, the whole world lights up with the angelic beings saying, peace on earth, goodwill to men. They're declaring God's goodness. This is God's will. Peace, goodwill. If it's not bringing peace, if it's not bringing goodwill, it's not of God. It's not his nature. So they declared that, and the enemy is familiar with this throne room language. He was there. He understands that as a guardian of the throne, he knew what was about to take place. This is that which was prophesied. This was the plan that was established before the foundation of the world. A Savior will be born, and you'll call His name Emmanuel, God with us. So what does He do? I know He's coming in Bethlehem, so let's kill them all. And He goes and kills all the babies in the region two years and under. And he missed. Twice. He's tried to take out something before it got rooted. He's tried to kill it in its infancy. And he missed. So don't think it's strange when God begins to do something new in your life that the enemy, don't think he's not going to try and come. Don't think he's not going to try and steal the good seed that's been sown. He always does. But if you're walking with God, he misses. He can't take you out. He can't take out the plan of God. You just have to stay in the boat with Jesus. You've got to be where his word is. You've got to be what he, where he has said, I need you here. And if he says we're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. So now the enemy, right after the parable of the sower, and I'm not going to teach on that tonight or all the four types of soil, but I want you to see that first one. He immediately comes to steal the seed. And why does he do that? 
doesn't want it to take root. What I'm sharing with you tonight is seed. It's the word going out. And as the word goes out, it goes into your heart. Don't think it's strange if all of a sudden the enemy wants to steal it from you. Because he doesn't want it to take root. If it takes root, you'll know your authority. You'll know who you are in Christ. You'll know, wait a minute, this storm has no authority here. What are you trying? Are you kidding me? Is that the best you've got? So they hop in the boat. The storm comes. Immediately, they've seen miracles. But now he comes to steal that seed, and the storm comes. Jesus says, oh, guys, where's your faith? What have we been talking about all day long? Where is your faith? Listen, if the disciples can miss it and forget it in one day, being in his presence, don't think that you're above reproach and can easily walk out from what you just heard. Oftentimes we look at the characters in the Bible and we think they're just characters. Like, oh, I'd never do that. I would never, I would not act like that. I would, I would know God. And we sound like Peter on the night that he betrayed Jesus. I'll go die with you. I will, I will, I'll be, I'll, man, I'll be there. Before morning. And before the cock-a-doodle-doo, three times he screwed up already. Completely denying Jesus within 24 hours. Listen, the good thing is God knows our frailty. And that's why he's constantly reminding you, hey, there's good seed. It's been sown. Let it grow. Water it. How do you water it? You pray over it in the Holy Spirit. See, when you, when you allow the Word of God to go deep on the inside of you, it's the soil of your heart that needs to be watered now by the Holy Spirit. Okay, God, I, I feel a little disconnected right now. I, something doesn't, I don't sense, it's not right. Shh, 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 shh. Pray in the Spirit. Water that seed. Let it rise up on, let faith arise on the inside of you. So much I want to say, i got to hold my tongue or I'm going to get a little out there. But now, they've heard where their faith is. Yeah, we misplaced it. We put it out here. Not doing that again. So they get to the other side. They sailed. I just see Jesus sleeping and the others going, I don't know what just happened, but I, I think we better catch on. They get to the other side. And as soon as they get out of the boat, as soon as the good seed of faith has been planted in them again, Jesus has reminded them in the evening of what they learned during the day. The devil comes. Somebody tell me why he came. To steal the seed. That's right. That's why he came, was to steal the seed. Faith is not yet rooted in them. If the faith was rooted, they would have understood it while they were in the boat. Jesus told it to them again, maybe I can get it back. Maybe I can get them believing in death again. Maybe I can get them to believe that I'm stronger, that I'm better. 
But I like what Jesus does. They get there right across from Galilee. And by the way, it's important that it was across from Galilee. Galilee is Jewish territory. The Gerasenes is not. This is now Gentile country. So they've gone to where they're, from where they're familiar to where they are out of place. And let me tell you, there are going to be times when you're following God and you're going to be real comfortable over here. And he's going to say, oh, by the way, I'm going to take you where it's uncomfortable. He doesn't say it like that. He just says, we're going to the other side. But by the way, it's going to be uncomfortable. Now, can you imagine what would have happened if Jesus would have said this before they hopped in the boat? All he said is, we're going to the other side, guys. And they all get in the boat. Had he said it like this, we're going to the other side where there's going to be a life-threatening storm. And after the life-threatening storm, we're going to run into more than 4,000 demons. I can see a lot of people going, I'll walk. I'll just, I'll, you know, I can, I'll see you a couple days. Sometimes we wonder why it is God doesn't tell us everything that's going to happen when we go down that path. It's because for most of us, if he told us every little detail of everything we were about to face, we wouldn't go. If you would have told me everything I was going to face in the last 42 years of ministry, no, I don't know that I would have done it. If I knew all the turmoil, all the heartache, all the family issues, all the, if I knew all of that, I don't know that I would have gone. But let me give you an idea how God works with the prophetic. See, the prophetic sees from peak to peak. Wow, it's a bright light. It shows you where you're going. Ah, I can see that. It's so glorious over there. It's wonderful over there. That's where we're going. He didn't tell you there's a valley that you've got to walk through. He just said, <laughs> David knew it. Yea, though I walked through... The valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Yay. Yay. <laughs> yes, I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yay. Why do you think in Psalm 119 it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path? The light's bright. We love it. What we don't like is the lamp that we have to walk in to get us through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say, I'm taking you into the valley to die. He just said, there's a shadow in there. There's a shadow of death in there. Now, you can focus on a shadow. I have a shadow up here. I'm looking at my shadow. That shadow cannot harm me. 
It's not going to jump up when I turn this way and grab me. It's my shadow. I'm not afraid of it. So when he said, I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is a shadow of death. But shadows can't hurt you. But they sure want to make you think they can. I could stand here and go, oh, I got two shadows. And they're both bigger than I am. You can focus on shadows if you want. But do you realize if you turn around and face the light, the shadows you never see? So when I turn and face the light, I don't see any shadows. Because my focus is now on him who has redeemed me, saved me. My life is in his hand. All I see is that light. I don't see the shadow. The shadow's irrelevant. It doesn't matter to me any more than the shadow of death would overtake us. Verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Did Jesus look for him? No. Did Jesus go to seek out demons? No. My Bible says, I'm going to read it again, there met him a man from the city. The man came out to Jesus. Jesus didn't go to the man. Let me tell you this. When you're walking with God, you don't have to go find devils. They're going to find you. You just find... If you find Jesus, the devils will find you. If you find the devils, you'll find them and you won't see Jesus. And today, in the name of deliverance, we've got all kinds of things going on where people are chasing devils. Instead of God. I'll cast out a devil in a moment, doesn't matter, but they're going to have to find me. I'm not going to find them. Let me tell you why that is. The devil comes immediately to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy, but he's coming to steal that seed, right? So if he can get you chasing him, how much seed are you sowing? There's no seed being sown because you're too busy worried about who, who he's infecting today. But if I give them the word, he'll find me. Why? Because he's coming to steal that seed. Well, you don't get to. I'm sorry. You don't bother me. I know who I am in, in whom I've believed. You don't get to bother me. Now listen. For a long time, everybody say long time. He had worn no clothes. Now, there's a lot of paintings of this, and you always see this guy in a robe coming to Jesus. No, the dude's naked. Have you ever noticed when the devil shows up and does anything, people get naked? You need to just key in on that one for a moment. The devil, seven sons of Sceva. 
if, Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, what happens? They jumped on the dude and stripped him naked. In the, in where the devil works, he takes everything you've got, including the clothes on your back. It's obvious. When God comes, he gives you everything of heaven. The enemy comes to steal it all and take even what you've got away from you. So this guy is now naked. And he's sleeping in a graveyard. Now that's messed up. How much discernment do you need to know that's wrong? I just, I just perceive, I sense that the devil's at work here. You think? You don't need like this lightning bolt from heaven that goes, I'm going to give you the discerning of spirits. No, that's wrong. People don't run around dirty and naked sleeping in a graveyard. So when this guy comes to Jesus, he cries out and falls down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. It says, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out. Now, I'm going to paint a picture between light and dark. Because what I want you to see here is something that I think because of our religious mindsets, we've kind of missed. Who do you think Jesus cares about in that moment? The man. He cares about that person. He cares about that man. Doesn't the word of God said that he was manifest to destroy the works of the devil? <laughs> here it is. Works of the devil. I'm here to destroy them. Not the man. What the enemy's done. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to love that person. Think for a moment. What would happen if a dude walked in the back door completely naked and dirty and told you he'd been sleeping in a cemetery? A lot of you'd be looking for an usher. Oh, hey, we got this guy who just came in. Dude, he's got no clothes on. Um, I can't even look at that. Don't set him next to me. Dude stinks. What does it tell you? Who's at work? Who does God love? See, the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end with the naked guy walking in the back of the church. I love this line. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, we have assumed that the demons are talking. 
Because the next verse says, because he had commanded the spirits to come out. But who is he caring about? This man was in torment, but when Jesus shows up, what do you think the activity level of the demons became? They're agitated. They know a power. They know, son of the most high God. I'm not saying it's not the devil's talking here. I believe it is, but for a different reason. They recognized who he was. They recognized, you are the son of the most high God. There's a key here we've got to get. They understood in that day and age the worship of multiple gods throughout that region. But the devil said, we know you're the son of the most high. There are others that have exalted themselves. There are others that want to be worshipped. There are others that want to be high, but you are from the most high. It doesn't matter how many gods are out there because there's only one Yahweh. There's only one self-existent God. People throughout the ages have worshipped multiple gods. That's why God had to give his first command. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You make that command because they could have worshipped other gods. I've heard people say, no, it's just talking about idols. No, it's not, because that's the second command. Don't make any graven image. If there weren't multiple gods, you don't need two verses, two commands. You just have one. Just don't worship dead things. Don't have any graven image. That wasn't the case. So they said, hey, what have you come to do with us? Son of the Most High, I beg you, do not torment me. I can see this man wrestling. When somebody is possessed, they just want free. This is not scriptural. Do not take it as doctrine. What I'm about to tell you is experiential. It is not doctrinal nor should it be turned into doctrine. I'm giving you my experience now. My experience is, is that when there has been true possession, when they are set free, they don't even remember what was taking place when they were under possessed demonic influence. Again, don't turn that into doctrine. That is experiential. But because of it, I believe this man so desperately wanted free. But how do you get there? We don't know what led him to be possessed by so many. A legion was four to 6,000 soldiers. On the low end, 2,000, and that's if they were well depleted after war. This guy had multiple... Devils, demons living on the inside of him. The epitome of what we would call being demonized. It said this spirit had seized him. He'd been kept under guard. He'd been bound. 
with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. The devil will always want to go where he's familiar. And I don't have time to go into the desert regions, but I'm telling you, the devil always goes where he's familiar. If you want to find darkness, confusion, every evil work, when you see those things, you know the enemy's at work. This man needed free. And then verse 30 is key to me. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? I think Jesus wants nothing to do with these demonic entities. I think he's looking at that man and saying, what is your name? Who are you? What is your name? The devils won't even let him speak. Oh, let me tell you, there's a bunch of us in here. We're legion. It's not what Jesus wanted. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? If an entire legion was afraid of this one man, who are you? 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 Ten years from now, you're not even going to recognize yourself. Ten years from now, you're going to be standing with a mic. You're going to be preaching to thousands. Ten years from now. And you're not even going to remember what I said until that moment. And you're going to be there with a mic in your hand. You're going to stand up and all of a sudden you're going to go, wait a minute, I remember this. Why? Because God's already gone ahead of you. He's already paved the way. It's already been done. What's the enemy going to do? Comes immediately to steal that seed. You hang on to that with everything you've got on the inside of you. Who are you? Who are you? Please, don't cast us into the abyss. Don't command us to go there. There's a bunch of pigs over there. Do you realize that by their traditions... Exorcists of the day would try to make devils name themselves because it gave them the ability to cast a spell over that name. Jesus wasn't playing their game. I was talking to a friend of mine just a couple days ago, and he said this, I could never cast out a devil. I said, why not? He said, I couldn't remember all those names. No, 
Think about it. Isn't that the doctrine we've told everybody? What's your name? What are your names? Oh, I'm murder. I'm death. I'm kill. I'm, I'm stealing. I'm Really? My Bible says that the devil's the father of lies. He's been a liar from the beginning. That they're all liars. Don't ask them to give you a name. They're going to lie to you. Come up to you and go, who are you? I'm Pastor Paul. Cast him out. Why would he tell you something when he knows you've got authority? Oh, but I can take... No. Jesus didn't even mess with him. Don't you do it. He just said, leave. Just leave. I like what Matthew's account says. He just said, go. The word says he cast them out with a word. A, a singular word. Go. Hey, there's pigs. Go. Now, here's the fun part. When they went into the pigs, and I've heard people say, well, you see, Jesus got saved a man and destroyed an illegal business. It's not illegal for Gentiles to have pigs. That was a Jewish law. They enjoyed their pork. A lot of bacon and eggs for breakfast. I'm a good Gentile. I like my bacon and eggs in the morning too. I don't know if that's good, I, but it's turkey bacon, Pastor Paul. It's turkey bacon. Don't eat the real stuff. I, I, I'm doing... Eat the real stuff. The real stuff. I'm going to go to my expert in, in the house for nutrition. I mean, he's, he's helped me a lot. And listen, I picked up a lot. How long did you... It was only four weeks. You only did four weeks. Changed my life in four weeks. That's what happens when you plug into the Word. Right? Okay. So, back to bacon. The pigs run down the hill and kill themselves. I don't think those pigs started out the day going, tonight we die. I think they're just pigs. They're rooting around, doing their piggy thing, and the next thing they go, woo! <laughs> Devil hit them, woo! Next thing you know, they're running down the hill and they're into the water, woo! Drowning, woo! Drowning, woo! All the pigs are dead. <laughs> now, <laughs> All the pig farmers run back into town, and they're going, you got to see this dude. Something happened to the guy that's breaking chains, and my pigs kill themselves. And the whole town comes out and says, you boys, you got to go. This is a financial disaster for us. You've got to go. Now, if you're this man that just got set free from demons, what would you want to do? Can I go with you, Jesus? Hey, can I go with you? I know you're going over there. Can I go with you? Can I go back over to the other side? Jesus didn't hold a meeting here. He set free one guy. One guy. He traveled all that distance for one guy. 
What makes you think he won't travel through all eternity for you? Because he did when he sent Jesus to die for you. He went through all eternity and said, you, you, I'll travel there for you. If you're the only one, I'll go there for you. He knew it was going to be fraught with opposition. The storms, the faith being put in the wrong place, and then demonic encounters. And he goes, it's worth it. It's worth it because none of that matters. None of that bothers me. None of that will stop me. When my staff loses all faith and thinks they're going to die, I'm just going to say, guys, where's your faith? This is the same staff that's all going to walk out on him in one day. Where's your faith? I got to wrap up with this. Let's drop down to verse 38. The man whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away. You imagine having a miracle in your life and saying, Jesus, I just want to be with you. And he goes, mm, no. You get to stay here. What do you mean I get to stay here? Yeah, you get to stay here. But you see how these people are. They're blaming me and you for everything that happened. They're kicking you out. Please, 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 can I come? Jesus said, no. He said, return to your home. Go to your home and declare how much God has done for you. For some of us, we need to go home say how much God has done for us. Let me tell you what God did for me. It doesn't say it here in Luke, but in Matthew, you'll see it. It says, and this man traveled through the region of the Decapolis, preaching in their cities. And the entire area heard of the miracles of Jesus. Not because Jesus held the meeting and not because this guy went to Bible college. He had one encounter with Jesus and got free, and he said, that's all you need. Go. Yeah. Revelation 12, 11, They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The guy took the testimony. Let me tell you, I was naked, dirty, laying with pigs in a cemetery, and Jesus showed up. Look at me now. That's all they needed. But in our society today, in this era, we think that we have to get all this knowledge. we got to know every jot and tittle about the Word before we can go, go do anything. I'm not saying we don't learn more about the Word. We should know more about the Word. But in the meantime, don't let that paralyze and cripple you because that's the enemy's plan is to paralyze you, cripple you, leave you naked without a word in your heart, dying among the graves. And one of the biggest tombs, if we're not careful, will be the four walls of what we called a church in the past. 
because we're afraid to go out and give our testimony. Let's stand up. Next week, we're going to go from there. Jesus is going back to the other side. Why? There's somebody else that needs him. A ruler of the synagogue. He's going to go right into the Pharisee's home. That's the news of Jesus spreads. Uh-huh. I'm excited for you. You know how rare it is for me to do that? That's rare. So you're breathing rare air right now. I want you to think for a moment of what God has said in your life. What is the other side for you? What is the other side for you? Where did he tell you to go? What did he tell you to do? I want you now to step over here. Last week, we we wrote down those things were biggest obstacles. Now I want you to go beyond just the obstacle you're facing and bringing his promise back. I want you to go into your calling and bring that back into today. What does God ask you to do? I don't know, Pastor. I, I, I don't know. He's asked me to do anything. Sure he has. Just be a light in the world. Speak peace over your community. Fellowship with people. Hang out with them. We think, I was talking to another friend on Saturday, and he said, you know what? I just, when I think about going out, and I said, I know where you're going. Just stop for a moment. We think we've got to go out and just preach the kingdom and get people born again right there on the spot. Well, how's that working for you? Now, if that's what God has you do, great. But for most of us, it's going to be lifestyle evangelism. It's going to be, we're just going to hang out with them. We're going to love them. We say it around here all the time, we'll love you back to life. How do you do that? By hanging out with them. You hang out. You pray. Speak peace. Hang out. Then you pray. And once you do that, now you can declare the kingdom has come. That's Luke 10. That's just two chapters away, guys. This all works together like a beautiful tapestry. And when we put it together, when we string it together, it works. Listen, I believe in you but not nearly as much as God does. Because he's not only been out there for me, he's been out there for you, and he knows what's in your future. So I want you to think, where has God said you're going? What has he told you? And I want you to revive that vision in your heart. I want you to revive it again. 
Sometimes there's a span of time and it takes a while to get it through. Sometimes it goes dormant, but the seed is still there. The enemy's not stolen it. The seed is still there. So even though it's dormant for a season, revive it. And I believe we are in the season of revival, not as we think oftentimes revival, but that seed that's in you being revived. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive. Don't we sing that song, come alive, dry bones. Come alive. I want you to just bow your heads with me for a moment. This is you and God. But if there's been something on the inside of you that you've not stepped into yet, but you know it's just been in there. It's kind of like I can't get away from it no matter what I do, no matter where I go, it's still there. If it's in there, and it's on your heart right now, I want you to slip your hand up and say, I know exactly what it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Bless you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Got them? Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. I think there's probably a few more that didn't raise your hands because you're going, I've never raised my hands in church a day of my life. Listen, we've all been there too. You know why? Look at me. It's because we think this. Everybody's going to look at me. That's how we feel. Why don't we raise our hands in praise and worship? Everybody's going to look at me. So? Who are you trying to please? Who are you afraid of? Don't be afraid of anybody. Everybody in here has had the same thought. Everybody in here has had the same feeling. Everybody in here has gone, you know, and when you first start raising your hands in praise and worship, let's get real. What did we do? <laughs> we couldn't do this yet because that's obvious. So then we're looking around to see if anybody's watching. We don't want to dance during praise and worship, but we'll tap our toe. You know what somebody who's willing to tap their toe during praise and worship and not dance, you know what we call that? Hypocrite. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did that just fly out of my mouth right now? <laughs> hey, we ought to have a little fun in the house of God too. Don't be afraid of anything. David just kind of went crazy dancing. They're just like, okay, look at the king. Well, there he goes. Even his wife is going, I don't believe that. Don't worry what anybody thinks. Listen, you're anointed. You're called. You've been through storms. More are coming. That's good news. Storms only come when good seed's been sown. So I know more seed's coming. That means you're going to go through more storms. That's all right. Let the storm come. But never forget Luke 10, 18. We'll get there in a few weeks. Never rejoice that the devils are subject to you. But you rejoice because your names are written down in heaven. I rejoice because I'm a child of the Most High. 
I rejoice because through all my screw-ups, through all my failures, through all the times I've messed up, God is right there going, hey, that's my kid. It's my kid. He's a little wacky sometimes, but that's my kid. You know why God uses me all over the world? Because I just said, yeah, I'll go. Nothing special. I just said, I'll go. Isn't that right, Mike? Why does he do it? I'll go. Here am I. Send me. And God says, hey, I, I kind of like that. I'll send you. And then you get there and you find a storm. It's okay. I want you to be encouraged tonight. Don't focus on the storms. Don't focus on the dark. Don't focus on the tombs. Don't focus on the demons. None of that's your focus. Your focus is the call of God and what he said over your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. We're going to have a great time next week. Be back Sunday. Call somebody. Text somebody. Say, you need to be here. Yes. I've had people say, well, why is it so important we're in the house of God? Or the church. Listen, this building is not the church. This is where the church assembles. We just come together. My Bible still says not to forsake the assembling together of yourselves. So we come together. And you know, every week we grow. We keep getting stronger. We keep getting better. The reason is because I can wrap my arm around you and say God loves you. I can't do that over the internet. I love all you tuned in via the internet. Some of you are continents away, literally, I know. Because I know who's tuning in. Because you tell me afterwards. Some of you are states away. Some of you are continents away. I understand. But if you're around here, Get here. Cecil, come here. Cecil, how old are you? Me? Yeah. I ain't going to tell you that one. (laughs) Go ahead. Surprise me. Well, I was born in 69. In 69? Yeah. And maybe 84? Let's, let's back that up a bit. I think you were born in 39? No, 26, 1935. 1935, there we go, okay. If you were born in 69, I'm 10 years older than you. I'm looking pretty good for 95, aren't I? No, why did I bring Cecil up here? He's a legend. He is a legend. He'll pray with anybody at any time for anything. And at 85 years old, never says it's too hard for me to get to the house of God. We need a Cecil anointing. We need that anointing that says, you know what? 
Nothing's more important than the house of God to me. I keep threatening Cecil. I keep telling him, I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to sit there and just listen to you for a few hours. And you know what he tells me? Oh, you can't that day. I got somebody coming over. I got somebody else coming over. I got some. He's, he's busier than I am. He's always talking to somebody, always sharing with somebody. I got a friend coming. I got a friend. Okay, well, we'll make it one day, Cecil. And we're going to make it one day. And we better make it while we're both still on this planet. Otherwise, I'm going to corner you in heaven, and I'm taking five hours up there, and in eternity, that's a long time. Amen. Amen. Woo! Come on, guys. Go home. Yeah, you want to share something? God is so great. If you need anything, ask him. Don't, don't be shy and say it won't happen. It will happen. Because I'm a witness of that. I've been down to death door, right? Weighed 90 pounds. And man, faith firmly got well. Didn't take a whole day. I went to work the next day. Never, never been that way since. I've had Raider, Raider fight, but God's with me. And if I ask God for anything, I'm even going to do it. Amen. Right? Yeah. Thank you. All righty, guys. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you Sunday.